Woodhouse offers confidence as your trusted auto partner. With 18 brands and 16 convenient full-service dealerships, you can easily shop the latest models, discover a pre-owned vehicle that meets your list of must-haves, or conveniently maintain your current vehicle. And our knowledgeable and local team is ready to help, providing you the solutions to get you on the road faster, whether online at woodhouse.com or in person. Experience the difference with Woodhouse, a trusted auto partner since 1975. What's good, people? This is your host, Coach Chris, back again with another episode of the Personal Branding Playbook. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you tuning in. Today's episode, we have very special guest, Blake, from Copy AI. It's an amazing company where you can just type things in and they give you information out, meaning they write copy for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a sales page expert, man. I can be honest and say I need help with that stuff. So Copy AI makes it really, really easy for you. And in today's episode, Blake is going to talk about his journey in the startup world and really their mission over at that company. So if you are, you know, trying to work on sales pages and emails and all of that stuff, you got to check out Copy AI, man. It is a game changer. And I definitely think you'll enjoy hearing Blake's story. So enjoy the show. think that it's just the best way to do it. Um... So before we even get into Copy AI, I know it's going super well. What got you into the startup world? Like, what made you say I want to focus on software and not anything else? Uh, yeah, so this is this is the first time I've ever actually worked at a startup, I guess. Uh, but I've I've been in SaaS or software for most of my career, and I think I just lucked into it. Honestly, when I started in SEO about seven, eight year, almost eight years ago. I didn't know what I was doing and I did not want to keep doing it. I kept telling myself along the way, this is cool. Like it's paying the bills. I'm a poor college student. This this fine, but I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And gradually over time, I just stopped thinking that way until now here I am. So I, I think it was much more gradual for me. I never was I tried to pick up coding in college. I was terrible at it. So I thought that that was like it for me. I thought that I was done in tech. There was nothing that could be done if you're not a good engineer, but there's a lot of value that you can provide. And I just didn't see that for a while. So um, I've worked at agencies and stuff. And most most of the clients I've worked with have been SaaS companies. And then I worked for a bigger enterprise SaaS company until this this is kind of my first foray into the startup world, like actually working in startups. But I've had a lot of startup clients over the years. So yeah, it's been very gradual process. Man, I totally respect. I understand what you're saying about like, if you don't code, then you're like, oh my God, what can I do? I had yeah. that same thought process years ago because uh, my software I'm working on now will release it soon, Castocity. I was like, man, I don't know how to build this. Mm -hmm. If I can run it to somebody that just can build it, then I can just sell it. It will be good. And I think, you know, going into the future, that's kind of what I want for my journey personally is like, I don't really want to be the coding guy. Like I know there are multiple things you need for a startup to work and I'm okay with playing my role of the marketer. I think that's fun. This is, that's just what I love to do, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't say it better myself. Like I, I just, I've tried to get better at this over time and no code and low code tools have helped a ton. So now, even if you don't know how to build software, you can kind of figure out a rough MVP, but it's still not quite to the point where you can just build this massive thing all on your own yet. And I'm sure it will get there, but I wish that no code had happened as a movement like five years earlier, because I would probably be richer than I am right now if that was the case. <laughs> and I'd probably be a little bit further along the way, but it's been really good for me 
probably to not have access to that and have to learn it the hard way. And now it's getting a little bit easier for, for people that are coming up, but it's, it's crazy what's capable with no code now. Yeah, I know that part is insane. Man. And I think um, it, it's really going to continue to broaden up, like you said, but I want to ask you this. What was your first idea that you were like, man, this is going to make me rich. This is just going to be amazing. What was that first idea that mm -hmm. you had that you just knew would work? Yeah. So the first idea that I ever had that I really felt had legs was when I was like maybe six years old. And I came up with this idea. You take the Reese's peanut butter cup and you flip it inside out. You put the peanut butter on the outside. You put the chocolate on the inside. That was my first idea. And then like four months later, Reese's actually launched that thing and I was heartbroken. <laughs> so that was my first like <laughs> uh, getting getting ripped off by a company. Now that I'm sure they, they, prob they, they probably couldn't hear me when I was planning that out uh, <laughs> when I was six years old. But And then like later down the road being a little bit more uh, serious with like SaaS technology, I guess. I had a bunch of ideas like in college, I had an idea for a friendship CRM. So basically being able to it's like advanced contacts, I guess, where you have your contacts, but this would be on steroids and you'd have all these different tags and all your conversations logged and you'd be able to like track the relationship with that person. Now there are a million things like that out there. And I don't think it's turned out to be nearly as big a market as, uh, <laughs> as I thought that it would have been back then. But again, I had no idea how to design the thing or how to code it or anything. And I have sketches in my phone from back then even, and they're so bad. It's so bad, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I was think thinking, I was good. getting the gears going. It's so good to have those things that I think just don't work that aren't good because it kind of forces you to grow and get better. And I think that's part of evolution before you can get to that big idea that's going to actually be successful and work. You got to get the bad ideas out the way. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I think some people are kind of too afraid in their heads about it. So they never take any real action and try anything. So then when they do take action, they jump out on that first idea and it fails. They're like, oh, my God, I quit and I give up. When in reality, you got to try it because it's going to fail the first few times because you don't mm -hmm. know what you don't know. Yeah, like it took me a long time to get this mentality. But if you think of it like baseball, people that hit three out of ten balls are Hall of Fame players. So like three out of 10, if you can hit that fairly consistency throughout your career, you'll be employed for 20 years. You'll make millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. You'll be in the hall of fame unless you take steroids. Uh, they're, but they're, they're like, that's, that's the standard. And so you look at something like that. If you go into the batter's cage or, you know, the batter ring right there and you're trying to take, so let's, let's use like Clayton Kershaw as an example. If anybody in the audience knows baseball at all, he's like one of the best pitchers ever. And he happens to be growing up in our time. But if he's throwing a 98 mile fastball right down the middle and I'm sitting there in the batter's box and it's my first time ever swinging a bat, of course, I'm not going to hit that ball, right? <laughs> of no course chance. I'm not. There's not a chance. And I'm not going to hit it for like, seven years it's going to take forever for me to hit a ball going that fast and that's kind of what it is like to have a real hit in software it can happen but it's basically like trying to hit a 98 mile an hour ball with with some curve on it too if you're just going into it expecting that you're going to hit right away it's not realistic instead just like put in the reps swing as much as you can and then eventually you're going to get a hit sometimes it might be a home run sometimes it might be a single but it, it's going to take a while yeah i totally agree and i think they're only exceptions. I think the exception is if you stay down. And what I call stay down is kind of building a foundation. Like we're just committed to creating content. 
learning about an industry, you build a ton of relationships and you have to do that for three to five years where you mm-hmm. just don't do anything. You're not really even selling. Honestly, you're just coming home after work, creating content and being a part of this community and that community and building relationships across that entire industry. Then if you pop up out of nowhere, five, six years later, like, Hey, I have software I can help all of you with. That's the only exception. And then again, if you are playing a role inside of a company, but if you're just trying to be the one man show, I just, I don't think that's really possible, man. I think that's kind of impossible to do. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And it's, for me, I've, I say this about like my content creation, about ideas, whatever you want to apply it to. But I believe that it's not a matter of quantity versus quality or anything like that. I believe it's quantity leads to quality. The more that you do of something, especially the more poorly you do something up front and then like improve <laughs> gradually over time, the more quality the output will be. And then you'll learn how to do the quantity plus the the quality. And so whatever you want to apply that to, if it's like posting on Twitter or starting a business or uh, whatever it may be, if you do a lot of it, eventually you'll get better at doing that thing. And so you'll get better at starting it. You'll get better at the, the middle part of everything. You'll get better at selling it. It all just is kind of this flywheel that you keep coming back to over and over and over. And the more revs you put in, the better off you're going to be. Totally agree, man. It just helps you evolve. So with copy AI, I want to know a little bit about your journey there. It's obviously not a one-man show, which I think that's super important. So what's the role that you play there? Yeah, so Chris and Paul are the founders, and it's been about five months since the product was launched. So it's still pretty young. And they built the whole thing from pretty much nothing. They had a few ideas beforehand of different businesses in, in the AI space. And so they had four ideas total. Three of The first three flopped, and then the fourth one was copy AI. And when they launched, it was an initial good bump and like clearly there was interest and they've kept going, getting new free signups that are converting to paid customers and the word of mouth has been insane on it. So that's how it's been building up until this point. And then I joined almost a month ago. It's not quite been a month, but uh, almost a month ago is when I joined as CMO and I have been building out processes and systems like crazy every single day, trying to set up some kind of organization because, um, and I was talking to my wife about this too. She's like, so do you feel like there's no direction at the company? And I said, no, it's not that there's no direction. It's that I'm creating the direction. It's kind of different. Cause I've been at places where there has been no direction and there will be no direction. I've been <laughs> places like that. This is a place where there's a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of direction, but it's very subtle and we're creating it and building on top of that. And so we're kind of like, it's like Minecraft. We're just like building the blocks and chipping away the stuff that shouldn't be there and building it all along our way every single day. And so that's, that's what I've been doing on the marketing side. Uh, we we've got one marketer that just got hired on and will be announced at the end of the month. Another one that I'm hoping will be hired pretty soon within the next week. So pretty quickly hiring people and just trying to get the organization built out. But the company's really founded on like content creation. And so we're building it, we're bringing in people that are ready to create content or create some kind of story. And we've had a lot of success doing this already. Like the hiring has not been so super difficult yet because we've just been leveraging our existing Twitter networks and finding yeah. the most amazing people. And it's, it's been pretty breezy, honestly. I hope that it stays that way. I know that as we keep growing, it's going to be harder and harder to keep finding those, that caliber of talent. But that's kind of where it's at right now. It's like all hiring processes, some marketing strategy and getting things in place. I'm really working on the community. 
But honestly, it's all over the place. There's so much to do and uh, there's not enough time in the day to do it all. So I'm, I'm looking for help actively. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. I, I love that you're building community. I think that's one thing I've noticed that really can help you thrive. You know, if you have community behind a product, even if the product isn't good, it can still kind of survive because you're gonna improve it based on the community feedback. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think building communities should not come before product. I'm not saying that, but it should be just as important because yeah. if you build something that people love, obviously your community will be easy, but if you build something people don't even like, if you have a community, you can reach out to those people and say, Hey, look, how can we improve this? You can do surveys. You can have like demo calls where you take people through the software and you know, they point out what's wrong. So I think community is like super important. So for you, what do you think is one thing that you have to do to keep your community thriving? We have to hire somebody and we're actively, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's one of the positions that so we're actually taking like a, a really different approach to this. I mentioned that we're all about content creation and hopefully the actions of who we're hiring speak to that. But I was the first hire at the company. CMO is usually not hired for quite a while at a startup. Um, the first hires on my team are going to be a video person and a community person. And the, the reason why is because education and community are going to be the absolute staples of building this thing outside of product. Obviously product is number one. We have to make sure that this yeah. thing works and is helpful and accomplishes everything that everyone needs it to. But beyond that, on the marketing side, like you're mentioning, the community side is so important and we're really trying to marry the product team and the community team together because the more that that can be a feedback loop, the better it's going to perform for us and the, better, the easier it's going to be for people to use the tool and to get the best experience out of it. So we really are bringing in somebody from the community side to basically Gary V the team where we're, <laughs> we're going to be like documenting all the leadership of the team, all of the employees, the customers, putting like uh, just basically putting out content of, around all this stuff so people can see us really building in public, but also get to know the tool and how to use it most effectively. So we are definitely taking an interesting approach. Most companies don't hire like community is one of their first things, but I think that's going to help us uh, have a huge competitive advantage. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I personally, I've used the tool and I love it because of just the speed in which it works. That's kind of my favorite thing about it. And it's just so useful because it saves time. And I think content creation goes perfectly into with software. Like if you're not creating content this day and age, I just, you can't really be successful. I think there's a ceiling that you have, you know, unless you are mm -hmm. one of these massive corporations that you have money to pour into advertising, you got to create some kind of content. Uh, and for, I want to get your opinion on this. I believe every, every startup company should have a podcast. That's my belief mm -hmm. because I'm a podcaster. So what is the main form of content that you believe is important for startups? Yeah, I, I think that you have to have a way to tell your story in some format and podcasting is often one of the best ways to do that. It's, it's also a little bit lower friction than investing heavily in video because we know yeah. how the video costs can add up pretty quickly. We've decided to use video as our way to podcast as well, at least for the time being. So podcast is going to happen down the road. We want to build out video content because first off, we need to have 
crazy amounts of tutorials for all of our tools. We need to have support videos and like a crash course and, and all this stuff. So video is kind of the way that we're approaching it because we can take the video and just extract it into a podcast as well. Um, I'm also looking into some ideas of like doing a very, very mini podcast that would be daily where we just basically build in public on the podcast. So there are different things that we're looking at, but I totally agree with you. We, content creation now the bar is still pretty low for brands. Like most brands are very bad at this to the point yeah. where we can count on one hand, the brands that are interesting. So like Shopify and Wendy's and Burger King and, and like places like this are interesting on social media. They're not actually all that creative. Like Wendy's whole thing is they just roast people. You yeah. could just Google <laughs> like roasts or snarky replies to people and you could find what they're, what they're writing back, but they're doing it. Right. So like they're just calling out other brands and roasting people and people know Wendy's really well for that outside of just their regular business. The bar is still really low for brands. So we're very aware of that and need to take advantage of it. But it's also important, I think, to not embrace the minimum that you have to do. If you call, if you have a business and you're like, OK, well, I know I need to create content. I think the worst thing that you can do is go in super half heartedly and just yeah. kind of post really boring stuff because you're just wasting your time and nobody's going to see it. If you really want to invest in it, then you should try to do something that other people haven't done. And that can be a little bit daunting, but when you really look at it, most industries are pretty untapped in terms of content. Still, there's all kinds of weird ways you could take content and do things that interrupt the normal pattern. That's the number one thing that you got to ask yourself if you're a brand, though. If, if you're not going to be all in and create content people haven't seen before, don't do it yet. Keep thinking on it because you're going to do a disservice if you just put boring stuff out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's just lazy. Um, it, it just it becomes a time suck because you're putting time and even money into creating this content. But your only intention with it is to get a sale. I think if your intention when you're creating content is, okay, I want to teach you something that makes it easier to sell, mm -hmm. you know, instead of saying, Hey, you should buy this product. I'm going to tell you here are three ways you can grow your podcast. And then you're going to learn, okay, I do need this tool because that helps me get the result. So I think education has to be a big uh, point in it. So another question I have for you is, do you think blogging is still up there with, we know videos really highly ranked and podcasts are. Do you think blogging is up there? Because you know a lot about SEO. It's mm -hmm. a longer process. Do you think blogging and writing can still rank where video and podcast are? Yeah, I, I still think it's really important because the way that I think of it is not so much like what's the opportunity for search volume and, and all that good stuff. I really just want to make sure that whatever type of person is searching for a certain type of content, they're able to find a format that works for them. The fact of the matter is that you might really like audio. That might be how you learn, or you have the most time to carve out on a commute to listen to something. I might like video more. Uh, Susie over there might like written word. That might be her thing. So everybody has preferences and usually we think like video is the only way because it has everything but that's not always the case some people just really learn better reading so i do it more for accessibility because you can get the same message out to different platforms it doesn't create that much more friction to just tweak it a little bit to be contextual but basically just spread the information in different formats so that's the way that i i would approach it as the easiest way but then like taking your blog content to the next level i do think that it's really important still because obviously search is 
bigger than it's ever been. There are snippets of audio and video at the top of every search results page now. I'm definitely aware of that. So you have to look into the intent and the different keywords and really scope all that out. But if, again, I, I don't I don't look at it like, oh, there's opportunity to rank for this keyword that has 70 monthly searches. This seems cool. I'm going to write about that. It's more like, what is the most helpful stuff that we have to have content on? And we'll figure out how to rank for it nice. after. Because the intent is way more important now than it's ever been. The user experience behind search is more important than it's ever been. You can't really game the system as much as you can't. You, you were able to back when I started in SEO where you could just spam and um, <laughs> spam links and uh, keyword stuff and all that good stuff. It just doesn't work anymore, nor should it. Yeah, they've upgraded that. You have to actually put in work for the SEO to kick in. I try to tell podcasters that, man. Like, look. You can do that part, but it's going to take some time for it to pick up, especially if you're not putting any money behind it. Mm -hmm. So I love what you're doing at Copy AI. And let me ask, I want, I like asking this question about future goals. Like what's your biggest goal when it comes to the startup and software? Like, do you want to start your own thing? Are you comfortable playing your role? Like what's in the future mm -hmm. for you? I, I'm a big believer. My whole career, I've been a big believer that entrepreneurs aren't just the founders of companies, that you should be the entrepreneur of your own role. And I, I think that for me, my route has been historically so far, work at a company in a specific role and crush it there and then have some stuff on the side. That's always been the way that I've been an entrepreneur. And I don't view that as being any less than or different than an entrepreneur that just strictly has their own business. I think that there's a ton of merit in every single path that you can take. So for me, that's what it's been. And, and going forward, yeah, it'd be awesome to be the CEO of a company and uh, to be able to do this all myself. But the fact of the matter is I'm learning so much at copy about venture capital and building relationships and partnerships and like actually starting a, a startup and making it successful and all the methodologies and strategies that go into getting the word out. Like it's a different realm and I'm learning a ton. So if I'm learning, I'm happy. Uh, I don't need to be starting my own business to be happy or to be an entrepreneur because I am the CMO of a startup right now. I don't, I don't know how it gets more entrepreneurial than that, especially with right. the way that we're growing and like how little we still have tapped into everything that's possible. There's so much room to grow. So that's, that's what gets me excited. But every path is, is valid as long as you're putting your soul into it. I mean, I, the only path that I think is not valid, like, my my dad, for example, and I'm sure that you know people like this, whether you're your parents or, or other people, but just the generation before me, a lot of those people hate what they do. And oh, to me, yeah. to me, that's not valid. That's like, I don't understand. I, I get that that was the norm back then and nobody was talking about this. And like entrepreneurs back in the seventies were kind of bums. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody thought that that was a, a viable path and they were seen as less than, but now it's flipped and that's the way to go. And career people are the bums, so to speak. Um, but I, I think having a, a normal career is totally cool. If you like that, if you just love being an accountant, that's awesome. Don't change. Yeah. But that, that's all self-awareness, man. That's all just right. being self-aware. Like if you're not meant to work for yourself, then just play a role somewhere. Like I honestly think for as many people that have unsuccessful businesses, they would be more successful and happier if they just played that role in another mm -hmm. bigger company, because when it's just you, all the pressure is on you. And I, I can definitely tell in the startup world, it's just tenfold. You know, when you're trying to really build some kind of software or something, so many things can go wrong. 
And if it's mm-hmm. only you carrying the weight of that, oh my God, I couldn't imagine that. I do not want that life. I'm good. It's, yeah, and like I've talked to Paul, the CEO of Copy, and he's, he's like, being a founder is really lonely. And we're we're building in public, so we've been able to meet a lot of other founders and, and early executives like myself. And it's less lonely because we're building in public and everybody knows what we're doing. And we publish a lot of like our ideas and strategies and everything, but most companies don't even do that. And Paul has just let me know how lonely it can be. Cause you know, he comes from venture capital and um, he's worked with a lot of founders and it's, that's a huge pattern. So it's not just like you start your own business, you're guaranteed to be happy, even if it's successful. More often than not, you're probably less likely to be happy even if it's a successful startup, because it can be so lonely. So you really have to build the system around you to make it less lonely. But like getting back to, you know, people like my, my dad, he just, every single day he's like, or, or every Sunday, sometimes we'll go over there for family dinner on Sunday. You know what he says to me every single time we go over there on Sunday? <laughs> well, I'm just mentally preparing myself for Monday. I don't want to go into the office every time. Oh. I don't know what kind of life that is. And I've been like that. Like I've worked at agencies where I was getting my head cut off by clients all the time because they're never happy enough. But so I kind of feel that, but at the same time, I've never really in my career just dreaded every single Monday going into work consistently. And I can't imagine that being my career. So I think now with everything that we have available, it's super important that we put an emphasis on, like you don't have to do what you love necessarily in every single case, but can you do something adjacent to what you love? Can you do something that's kind of related to what you love or um, something that requires a skill that you love exercising? Because a lot of people don't get that and it it can make for a really depressing career. And then retirement might be kind of unfulfilling too, because you're starting it at like 70 years old and you know, your best years are kind of behind you at that point. So trying to copy AI's mission ultimately is like, we want to help people start more companies. All right. So Blake, thank you so much for coming on the show. Please let the people know where they can get copy AI, where they can find you. I'll I'll tell you guys this right now. Blake has a great Twitter account, like very good. He's very good at Twitter. I'll give him that. I'll give him credit for that. He might be using copy AI for his tweets, but (laughs) (laughs) he's good at Twitter, man. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate you. Um, copy AI, it's really hard to find online. It's the super long URL. It's copy.ai. So if you're not able to type that in, uh, I don't know what to do for you. It's it's the easiest URL that I've ever seen in my life. Copy.ai. Go check it out. Seven-day free trial. For anybody that has a .edu email address, it's free forever. So take advantage of that. If you're like a college student, we want to help you out. Free forever if you sign up using that email. Uh, and then... Let me know your honest feedback too. Uh, if you just think it sucks, tell me. Uh, it doesn't suck. I promise it doesn't suck. But if you think that there's something in there that could be better, just tell me and we'll, we'll try to get it fixed. We're trying to make this thing awesome for people. And uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at Hey Blake. That's pretty much it. That's where I spend my time, just working and on Twitter and then with my family. So, you know, it's a pretty good shot. If, if you want to talk to me, just yeah, man, DM me on Twitter. Super reach. It's super easy to reach. Super cool. Great conversation, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a guest. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.